0: I'd invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7, Second Samuel chapter 7, we are looking at the fifth, I believe the fifth passage in our seven of these uh, seven key texts that outline and highlight the story of Israel, this blessed people and uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 that will be our text verses 1 through 17 for this morning. On the 23rd of November marked a, a special day in the Thompson home. Uh, on that day, uh, 14 years ago, uh, I proposed to Megan. Uh, so November of 2005, uh, it was a very, very snowy uh, day in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, and I, I proposed to Megan. Now, culturally, the, the engagement process... It really includes a lot of like scheming and dreaming on part of the boyfriend. You know, like the first step in this whole like engagement process, you know, beyond like knowing that this girl would like to marry you or assuming she does, is to ask permission. Now, I don't know uh, from her father, which many of us have done. I don't know if you uh, have a vivid memory of when you asked uh, your uh, to-be father-in-law if you could marry his daughter, but I remember very vividly. Uh, the conversation I had with uh, Megan's dad, it was like a three hour long conversation at Panera Bread and it was like, it was one of the most intense conversations. I remember asking uh, whether or not I, I could marry Megan and, he, you know, technically he never said yes. <laughs> he, uh, he, he had some, he, I said, well, I was like, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to know if you'd be okay if I, if I marry Megan. And if you know my father-in-law, he's pretty intense dude. He's kind of like looked off kind of the side and was like, well... She's a grown woman. It's her decision. (laughs) I was like, okay, I'll take that as a yes. (laughs) So there's like, once you get past that like hurdle, right, of asking, you know, your future father-in-law, then it comes to like picking out the ring. I remember, uh, you know, like Megan had, uh, Megan has, not had, Megan has a sister, and I was talking to Kate. I was like, what should the ring look like? How should we, you know, wh- 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 where should I get it from? And we talked pretty extensively about, you know, where to not get it from, where to look. So I ended up going to this, this guy who designed, like, it was kind of like a, a private jeweler who designed rings, and that's a whole other story. But basically, we went through this whole process of, of having, you know, him fashioning what this ring would look like. Well, then after that, you know, I needed to create the plan. Like, was this going to happen? Like, what was going to be this moment where I would propose? Like, what, how memorable would it, would it be? How basic would it be? What, what would it look like? I wanted to make it, you know, a very sentimental, obviously. And so, and so what I did uh, was I had this idea where, and this is, this is going to date me a little bit. How many of you know what a scrapbook is? You all know what a scrapbook is? Like, okay, more, more than I expected. Javier, you don't know what a scrapbook is? No, that's alright. Anyways, so this this scrapbook, I, I had this idea where I wanted to go like to all of our like memorable places where Uh, you know, where, like, we first started dating, our our first actual date. And I wanted to take a picture and write, like, a little story about why that place was so significant. And then the thought was, you know, that the last picture in that scrapbook would be on the couch we would be sitting at, you know, where I would propose, and it would be a big question mark in the scrapbook. So I thought it'd be really, really special, sentimental. And then uh, finally, in this whole engagement thing, you had to, like, execute the whole plan. And and to do this, you know, like it, it involved a lot of work because we were we were in South Carolina, and I was going to ask her to marry me up where she lived in South Bend, Indiana. So we had to actually get we had to drive up, uh, and we we like, drove through snow, and I had a 1993 Ford Tempo, so it was a little bit of a of a dangerous <laughs> trip. And uh, I, I remember like, when we finally got to her home, uh, her dad had planned to take her to Chicago for the day so I could get things ready at her home. It was just all of these details to, to lead up to this one moment where I would propose and ask her to marry me. Why, why am I going into all these details? Well, this grand plan that was designed, in theory, in my opinion, was for Megan's greatest good, <laughs> Now, I realize we can easily see the flaws in that statement when we consider that this grand plan of mine, you know, was really probably for my greatest good, uh, because when Megan said yes, you know, she was taking on a whole set of responsibilities in marrying me. But the point is, all of that planning, all of those details, that grand plan, in my mind was designed for what I firmly believed would be Megan's greatest good. You see, I wanted that moment to be special, and I wanted her to see and experience the love I had for her because I wanted it to be just, in many ways, uh, a snapshot of what, of what life would be like together. And I'm assuming any of you that, have, that went to any length or any detail to your engagement process, it was something a very similar sentiment. Now, why do I discuss all this? We're going to see in 2 Samuel chapter 7 today, How the grandest plans of God, when we take a look at the grand plans that God has detailed, it is going to reveal to us that God's biggest and greatest plans are for is for our greatest good. And when we look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to interact with conversation between the Lord and a prophet named Nathan and this chosen king named David. And as we see God unfold his plans for David and ultimately for his people, we see that the grandest plans of God reveal the greatest good for his people. So I'd like to begin reading in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 1 to pick up where we're at in this story. It says, Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in the tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. I want to draw your attention specifically up here to verse 4, and we'll have it on the screen behind me. It says, But that same night... The word of the Lord came to Nathan, and it says, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord. And what we're going to see is that God's promise is the very thing that leads to our blessing. God's promise is our blessing, because the grandest plans of God reveal the greatest good for his people. Specifically, we're going to look here today at three reasons why the grandest plans of God reveal the greatest good for his people. And we begin by seeing, first of all, that these plans are actually plans for our peace. These plans are actually plans for our peace. I want to call your attention here to verse 8 because we're going to see That this plan for peace is actually witnessed in the decimation of Israel's enemies. It says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Here in these verses, God recalls very specifically his care for David. Notice what he says, first of all. He he has led David from the pasture to being prince. If you're familiar with the story of David, that's quite a journey, isn't it? Here's this young boy in a pasture, just doing shepherdly things, and he ends up defeating the greatest the greatest, you know, uh, warrior in, in, in really the, all the world at that time. He kills him. A very, very, you know, crazy story where David has the stones and hits Goliath. And, and he goes from such a humble beginning. And, and God says, I've been with you from the pasture to now being the prince. Specifically, he says, I've never left you. Wherever you went, I was there. And he brings to this climax and he says, I've even cut off all your enemies. What's really interesting about this verb here, cutting off, it it really carries the idea of extermination. And here in Florida, having a good exterminator is like almost a non-negotiable. You know what I'm saying? In the Thompson home, when there are bugs, there is no peace, specifically cockroaches. Those little suckers are nasty. And if, if at any moment Megan happens to find even a dead one, she gets itchy. You know, you know that feeling of like, it's not clean in here anymore. Like, like we've been defiled. And anytime you see, you know, and, and whether it's outside near the home or, or God forbid, inside the home, Megan is not at rest. So as, as a husband who desires for her to experience peace, what do I do? Call it McCall's. You know what McCall's is? It's like the, a huge exterminator in the area. And I say, I need you to come out. I need you to spray. Why? Because I want those roaches exterminated. I don't want them in my house. The very presence of cockroaches in the Thompson household means that my wife will not be at peace. This is what David is hearing here from God. He says, I have exterminated all of your enemies, David. And here's why. I want you to experience the peace that comes when all of your enemies have been cut off but notice he goes beyond that and he continues what he's promising David here and he says and I will make for you a great name like the names of the great ones of the earth and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people. See, when you, think about, when you think about the story of God's people, they're always at some level of fight with an enemy. And this is, this, is, this is why this promise of peace is so important, because if you think about it, right from the very moment of creation, the people of God, God's chosen, created people are at war with an enemy what happens in the garden? Adam and Eve have a perfect life and all of a sudden they're confronted by what? By Satan. He's tempting them. When you go through the story of Israel, they are constantly at war with the enemies, people who are trying to wipe out their entire nation. And now here we are today, and and I would say, yes, we're experiencing maybe Maybe in the world today, Christians are experiencing physical fighting for their beliefs. But the reality is, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against what? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, we wrestle against those that are of our spiritual evil. So, what, why is this significant? Because what God is promising here is a promise that is pertinent to all of us. We are in a fight against evil. Whether we experience it physically or certainly spiritually, the reality is enemy, in enemy, enemies, plural, exists. And what David is learning here from God is that God has a promise, has a grand plan to provide for us peace. And the peace that we can experience from God comes directly through God cutting off, exterminating all of our enemies. It's a good thing, isn't it, right? Like having no enemies, that's something that we desire. I mean, like just, just think about what it will be like in that day when there is no more evil or we have no more enemies. I mean, there'll be no more fear. Like fear is something that probably any and all of us experience different degrees. Like I think about my kids. Like they're afraid of like silly things, right? And they're afraid of monsters, you know, Nolan, they're afraid of their brother, Nolan, who thinks he's a monster. Like, the, you know, kids are very afraid. But we as adults, you know, we're still afraid. You ever been on an airplane where someone thinks that something fishy is going on? Like, ever since 9-11, people freak out about flying on airplanes. Like, we are afraid as adults of terrorists. Think about this world where all enemies are defeated. There's going to be not, there's, uh, there'll be no more fear, but there'll also be no more pain. I think about right now, maybe some of the physical pains that you are dealing with. Maybe they're not physical. Maybe they're emotional. Maybe they're spiritual. Maybe you are going through a season of severe pain. And there's going to be a time when God roots out any and all of our enemies. And as also, there'll be no more fighting. You know, we've just come out of a holiday season where maybe at some of your holiday gatherings, there's fighting amongst family members. And I know we kind of laugh at that because you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, you know, certainly circumstantial, but almost just you know, comical at, at what we now think of as family gatherings and fighting. But if you think about it, tension in our world exists today because of evil. And you know what God is promising here to David and by extension to us? There's going to be a day there's no more fighting. There's no more pain. There's no more fear. This is what God is promising. Because when we see the grandest plans of God, you know what they ultimately reveal? Our greatest good. This is the type of God that we have. A God who makes promises, who are designed for our blessing. And he shows David that I have a plan of peace for you, and that is when all of your enemies will be decimated. They'll be exterminated. But then he also tells David that I don't just have a plan of peace for you, I also have plans for prosperity. Look at what chapter 11, how, excuse me, in verse 11, the second half, it takes this pivot. And this pivot occurs when he says, moreover. It's like And I got more for you. There's there's more in this grand plan of mine. It's not just plans for peace, David. It's plans for prosperity. And this prosperity is experienced in the anticipation of Israel's kingdom. You see, just the very thought of this coming day is to bring peace and joy to David's life. It says, moreover, the Lord declares to you, that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. And notice how he concludes this powerful statement. What does he plan to do? I will establish his kingdom forever. You see, God details to David a plan for future prosperity. Notice these arrows pointing forward. He says, I will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled, when you've died, I will raise up one after you. I will establish this throne. You know, when I think about this, this like future, this future prosperity that David is promised here from God, it, it reminds me of like the joy that comes in the life of our children in these, you know, 25 days leading up to Christmas, Right? Just the very thought of Christmas morning, at least in our home, like brings a lot of joy. Like with your kids, when you talk about, or maybe maybe even for you, just thinking about that future day brings joy, right? Like when we told Nolan it's just 25 days till Christmas, like it's Christmas? Like, you know, he's just like, he can't believe that it's already Christmas time. I remember uh, a couple years ago when Ella was two, we were living in Minnesota and we were getting ready to do this big family Disney trip. And, and we, were, we would always say to Ella, Ella, guess where we're going? And she'd go, we're going to Disney World. And she was so excited about that coming day. This is what, this is what Lord is, is outlining to David here. He's saying there's going to be a coming day that everything will be made right. And specifically, I'm going to establish a kingdom forever. And this kingdom will be one that, that an offspring from your line will be, will be reigning from. And if you think about it, it will be a place where when God is on the throne, all will be made right. And David is living in anticipation of that moment. And if you're thinking, well, why, why is the establishment of God's kingdom just a good thing? I want to I read to you a passage from Isaiah 25 here that, that is talking about this future day. Just, just listen as I read this. Isaiah says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts Will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. Now, that already sounds good, right? For those of you that enjoyed a good Thanksgiving, you're like, this sounds great. A feast of well aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. It says in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah, We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps my faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Doesn't that description sound amazing? Like when you think about what God has prepared in the future, it's plans full of prosperity. And God is telling David that there is going to be this future kingdom. And he's telling them this to bring happiness and joy and peace into his life. The reason Nolan and Ella and Olivia and you and your family as well, the reason you're excited about Christmas is because you know what's coming right? You're anticipating the good that's to come. And here we're seeing David witnessing from God that this glorious future, this future filled with prosperity and blessing, and this is all part of the grand plan for God that is designed for your good. Like, who does this, right? There's no one like this. You know, when the problem is for us, though, I think is that we struggle with this concept of time. Like we can, like this can, like we can affirm this is coming. Like we are we're, we're we're thankful for it, but we want immediate answers. You know what I'm saying? Like Nolan asks very frequently to play Star Wars at home, and and I'll tell him, hey, like like just, just a minute, like or or give me a couple of minutes. And you know how he normally responds when I say, hey, give me a couple of minutes? Like he's frustrated. He gets disappointed. And he he usually says, dad, we never play Star Wars. (laughs) And not only is that untrue, I've told him, hey, we're going to play Star Wars. Like it's going to come. It's going to happen in the future. But because of his struggle... With understanding time, he can't process it. Now, with Olivia and Ella, they can ask for something. If I tell them in just a minute, they understand that it's going to be imminent. Now, even though they may want an immediate response, they trust me. And they know that I will fulfill my promise to them. I want to ask you, how are you responding to the, this, this tension of time that we all experience. Meaning, we know, at least I'm assuming we believe, that God has good in store. We know that God has a glorious future prepared. But in this little hiatus that we're experiencing right now here on this earth, how are we wrestling with the already but not yet? Now, I find myself often responding a lot like Nolan. I want answers from God and I want them now. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know God is good. You, you, you know God has great plans in store. You see him here in scripture. We, we, witness, we witness God's plans for peace. We, we believe that he's going to have these plans for prosperity. We quote Jeremiah 29, 11. Like, we understand what God is doing. But yet, when we, we have, you know, so subtly told to us, just a minute, often I feel like we respond like my son in just frustration and anger and disappointment, right? But if we can just understand a little more maturely that this aspect of our life is but a vapor, we're here for just a moment, we're not going to respond like Nolan in frustration. We're going to respond like a living Ella in trust because we believe in God. We know he's faithful. We know he's good. God has plans for peace. And the, this peace that is going to come is when he decimates all of our enemies. God has plans for prosperity, and the, and the, 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 the fulfillment and, and, and the, the demonstration of this prosperity in its fullness is going to come when He establishes His kingdom forever. And finally, here, we see that God has plans for permanence. In, vor- in verse 14, He continues this, this very intimate dialogue with David. And he says to David, referring his offspring, the one who's going to be this king forever. He says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Now, David here is receiving from God, excuse me, from God through Nathan a prophecy. And this is what's interesting about prophecy in the Old Testament. You're you're seeing a future picture. Like, you're seeing a future picture, but there's definitely dimensions to it. And we don't always get all of the pieces. So what we have here is something that has a little bit of a future, like a, a near future and a far future. The near future is that God is promising to David a son that is going to establish a kingdom in Israel. Do you know what his name is? Solomon. But we also see that God is, is talking about something that is far beyond Solomon, right? He's talking about an offspring of David that is far beyond Solomon has a far greater rule than Solomon. Because notice what, he, what we learn here in verse 16. It says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. And what's significant about this is because in the immediate future, Solomon builds the kingdom. He builds builds this glorious glorious temple for the Lord. But what we have now is an awaiting of this promise in its fulfillment. Now, why is this so significant? Because for as much as we maybe enjoy new things, or maybe enjoy uh, change to a degree, I think for the most of us, we enjoy the comforts, of consistency, or maybe even constancy better. Like, think of it. Like, we love the comforts of home, don't we? I think about, and I've used this illustration before, my my in-laws did an amazing job of having this, you know, very routine, consistent life. You know, 19431 Edinburgh Drive. They were there in that home for 30 years, and and there was this, this nostalgia and sentiment that came from the consistency and constancy that Megan had of always knowing where her home was in South Bend, Indiana. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you have that home that was your home, or maybe it's your grandparents' home, or maybe there's this place that as soon as you see it, you know, for me, there's this certain smell that always reminds me of my grandma's home. Whenever I, whenever I smell this, this certain particular like, strong scent of cinnamon, it, it brings me back to my grandma's home, to my grandma's presence. You know, we don't just love the comforts of home. Like, we love the consistency of places like Chick-fil-A, right? I mean, think about how much you enjoy having them give you a hot, fresh chicken sandwich, a large sweet tea, and then say, what? It's their pleasure. Like, we love that. Like We can count on it. And, like, when we don't have someone say my pleasure or something's wrong, it's almost like, what happened? You know, like, is the, world, is the world ending? You know, it's that consistency that we love. And maybe for some of us, we love the constancy of nice weather here in Florida. It's like you can always bake on it being kind of sunny and pretty hot, right? Like, for many of us, we love that. We love the fact that no matter what happens when we wake up in the morning here on very rare occasion, we're gonna wake up to a a sun-filled day. We enjoy the pleasures of permanence. And you know what God is promising David here? There's gonna be no more disruption in your life. You're not gonna feel the tension of having to move again or be displaced or wonder where your home's going to be. He says, I'm going to give you A kingdom that will last forever. I want you to think about, just for a moment, these these grand plans of God. He's promised David peace. And he's promised David peace through the decimation of his enemies. He's promised David prosperity. And that prosperity is going to come... In the anticip- or, or he's going to enjoy that in the anticipation of this future kingdom. And then he finally says, hey, I- I'm offering you here permanence as well. I have these grand plans, and these grand plans are all designed for his good. The grandest plans of God reveal the greatest good for his people. Now, I want, however, though, for us just to be authentic for a moment and acknowledge that sometimes we don't enjoy the plans of God, right? Maybe maybe we don't understand them. Maybe they're frustrating to a degree. Maybe we don't understand how God is going to work out these things for good. This coming Tuesday, on December the third, it's going to mark 24 years that my dad, from my dad's passing, on that lukewarm December day in Michigan, God's plans, they rocked my world, they rocked my mom's world, and it would be, and it was very easy in that moment to look at these plans of God, and simply to ask, first of all, why, right? And often why led to like, how could you? Why would you? What are you doing here? And these grand plans of God that unfolded in, in the death of my father, by no means to me or my mom or those who love my dad in that moment seemed good. Providentially, though, as I laid over the body of my dad and calling out for God to save him, Little did I know that I was the one who needed salvation. You know, and this is what God does. God orchestrates plans that are beyond our comprehension, but they're for our good. And as I cried out for my dad to be saved, I was the one who was needing salvation. I was the one still in darkness. You see, my dad was passing from death into life, but yet I was the one who was still in sin, needing God to be my father, to be my savior. And here's what's crazy. God used the events of December 3rd, 1995, as difficult and as still in many ways mysterious as, as they may be, God used those, those plans and those events To make me a better father today, to make me a better husband, and I hope even to make me a better pastor to you. God used the events of that day ultimately to cause me to love and trust him more. And it's easy for us, I think, when we look at the plans of God that are in our life where we don't understand or that cause us pain, to look at God and say, God, what are you doing? How could you? But think about this the grandest plans of God that ultimately end in our good included a horrendous loss on his part as well. Like, you see, for God to be able to unfold these plans for good, it had to come at his great loss. You see, the grandest plans of God that result in our good included the death of his son. You see, God was willingly and lovingly able to devise a plan for our good that would include a great expense on his part. He gave his son for us to die in our place. You see, God is not unfamiliar or untouched by loss, by pain, by suffering. The very plans and promises of God that we witness here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 are completely intertwined. With the death of Jesus Christ. And why is that so mind-blowing? Because all of those plans, including the death of Jesus, was designed for, for our peace, our prosperity and our permanence. The grandest plans that we see of God reveal our greatest good. God was willing to give up his Son so we could enjoy peace prosperity, and permanence. So what's keeping you from trusting in this God today? Like, think about it. What is it that, that's keeping you from, from following and obeying God? If you're wondering, are his plans good? Yeah. Are you, if you're wondering, is God good? Absolutely. These are the plans he has for you, for your peace your prosperity, your permanence. He's designed his eternal plan for your good. But what is it that here in this moment today is causing you to look at God and his plans and say, I'm not so sure. Is it sin? Is it it past failures? Like what is it that you're looking at God and you're like, I I just can't, or I'm not sure if I want to. Like God has demonstrated time and time again. And as we see here in the story of Israel, his faithfulness, his love, his goodness, his kindness. And this is just from a a story of one nation. We could bring and, and form a line and each one of us could talk about how God has been faithful and good to us. So it's not that there isn't a lack of history or evidence of God's faithfulness. I think it's just that in these moments, where we lack perception of time or we we lack a sight of Jesus, is when we struggle, It's when we doubt. But I want us to once again see that the grandest plans of God, the ones that involve our peace and our prosperity and our permanence, are, for, are the very things that God is, like, desires to bestow upon us. Like He's made possible through Jesus. So this morning, what is keeping you from experiencing the joy of these plans? The joy from knowing that God loves you, has given everything for you. As we walk into this Christmas season and anticipate and celebrate this coming of Jesus. Let's once again be reminded of the truth that God has laid before us here and his grandest plans are for our greatest good. And that result is our trust, our obedience, our following him, despite whether or not we understand what's happening, despite maybe even the difficulties of obedience, despite the struggles that we may walk through, we know and we can trust and who God is, and what he has done. So I would invite you this morning, if if you need prayer, if you need to talk to someone, if you need a time to to see further in scripture how you can experience salvation in Jesus, don't, don't leave here today without that. Don't leave this time together without knowing and experiencing the wonderful plans and promises that God offers to you and me.